you better learn how to not run around and be in my way or the highway, but you better learn how to work with people. Many churches that die in rural areas is because of unresolved conflict. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. A popular theme you'll hear a lot these days in Southern Baptist churches is church revitalization. The word revitalize simply means to put new life into something. And we live in a more and more secular culture, and churches are seeking ways to have new life injected into their ministries. What does church revitalization look like in Appalachia? Well, on this Level Paths episode, Matt Shamlin and Rex Howe are spending time with Tom Cheney. This is part one of a two-part series that focuses on how church revitalization happens in rural America. Here's Matt Shamlin. Well, welcome to another edition of the Level Pass podcast. It is our desire to see the glory of God in clear view, coming to you from Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Several years ago, I was serving on the staff of the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptist and recognized after having pastored for several years that there was a great need for church revitalization. And in church revitalization, that is now quite a buzzword, but at that time it was something early, something new. And I found a conference in Orlando, Florida, the Renovate Conference, that was a forerunner in church revitalization. And so today we have with us Dr. Tom Cheney. He's the founder and director of the Renovate National Church Revitalization Conference, and he's also the executive director of the Church Revitalizer magazine. He's written scores of books, and he is our keynote speaker for our Appalachian Ministry Conference. Tom, welcome to the podcast today. Well, it's good to be with both of you, and I've been looking forward to this, and I'm looking forward to being up there with you at the conference, and we'll just watch God's glory just bless our pastors all across that region. It was incredible. As I went to the conference, I found out something about Tom that I didn't know, and that was that he had served in Appalachia. And so I was there trying to learn how to uh, revitalize churches and invest in our pastors. And a lot of times when you go to conferences, the things that you learn at those conferences are not directly applicable to rural churches. And what I found that that conference was very much the opposite because there with Tom was a heart for ministry in Appalachia because he had served there as a pastor. So Tom, tell us a little bit about your connection to Appalachia. Well, it is really interesting. When I came out of seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, I went to New England to restart a church. It was a small plant that had really dwindled even smaller and revitalized that. And this church in West Virginia, Morgantown, West Virginia, came knocking and said, we're looking for a pastor. Our church used to be strong, but it needs to be restarted. And my wife and I prayed about that. And in the early 80s, we moved to West Virginia and had a wonderful time. When you said the Baptist State Convention of West Virginia, you used to spend a lot of time driving from the north end of the state down to the south end of the state. 
that go to convention meetings, but West Virginia and Appalachia for that matter is just a wonderful, wonderful place to serve and to minister. It's great on the pastor's family. My daughter was born there. My kids still talk about it. It's different and you need to learn how to minister in Appalachia, certainly. But some of our fondest memories, and in fact, one of my buds was my um, bivocational worship leader. Still, we stay in contact to this very day. But we had seven and a half years of faithful service there and just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our time there. So what church was it in Morgantown that you served? It was Calvary Baptist Church in Morgantown, West Virginia. Well, as a Florida State fan, I can't help but point this out. Calvary Baptist Church in Morgantown, West Virginia. Most of the Bowden boys were born in that church, came through the cradle roll. Bobby Bowden was a deacon in that church when he was the coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers. And you know, Uh, one of the things that I hear, he was already gone, and I've always been a Florida State fan because I'm a Bobby Bowden fan. But one of the things that I heard over and over and over from our deacons and our older church members that You know, Bobby might be over someplace, and as soon as they flew in, he taught Sunday school. He might have arrived back in Morgantown at 5 a.m., and yet he's in his place teaching Sunday school, being part of uh, the church, serving the Lord there. When that church was beginning to be revitalized, both him and his wife, they were faithful to help that church really kind of get out of the doldrums, not only prayerfully, but financially. They are the real deal. And even though I didn't get the privilege of pastoring him, he just speaks so fondly of just his tenure and what what he did there. And, you know, now I'm an eternal Florida State fan, and uh, I'm sure Coach is sitting up there and he just said amen. Well, I hope my brother isn't listening. He is the complete opposite of a Florida State fan, but uh, you're warming my heart a little bit more toward Florida State with what you're saying about Coach Bowden. I didn't know all that. He's just a great godly man, and I ran into him years later just speaking across the country on revitalization at different conferences for state conventions, and just an incredible guy. With your experience in rural churches, West Virginia, we're looking with our podcast specifically about engaging Christian ministry for God's glory in Appalachia. So we can widen the scope a bit and talk about rural church. What are some of the unique qualities that you see of the rural church and the pastors who lead them? Well, the first thing I would say uh, in relation to the rural church, there is a huge commitment to keep on in the easy times and in the hard times and, and everything in between that in those type of communities, they wear their participation of where they attend in rural Appalachia on their sleeves. In other words, it doesn't take long for them to say, oh, I go to Calvary Church or I'm at, and you just name another one, because that is a huge part of not only their family tree, but their community tree and churches that are doing something in the rural Appalachia annotation, the whole community knows about them. And a lot of them are all in about that. And being a a rural pastor in Appalachia, you know, you not only serve the church, but you serve the community. And those type of pastors, they not only will minister and do all the things that we say, marrying and bearing and all all of that, but they walk around as watchers on the wall in a lot of rural Appalachia uh, type churches that they speak when there's things that are happening in the community that are not for the family. They speak against, they speak for other things. 
they're the watcher on the wall in a lot of uh, the Appalachian churches across and rural churches across our land for that matter. So, Tom, you wrote a book, Church Revitalization in Rural America. How did you go about writing this book on rural America, church revitalization? Well, with all the books that I'm writing in revitalization, I first wrote what I call the 50,000 foot uh, level book, The One Shot Wonder. And I wrote my first one that way, too. But now I've started to look across the land of what do we need? And I'm online for a 35 uh, book set to literally deal with all the different areas of not methodologies per se, but where the different things are. Back in 1997, I was beginning to really sense that I needed to write a book on rural revitalization. Now, interestingly enough, where I live in Orlando, Florida, everybody thinks Orlando is city and and where I serve as the executive director for the Greater Orlando Baptist Association, 40% of our 250 churches, 40% of those are in rural areas. It's not just big urban centers. So I was starting to think about needing to provide resources to help them, thinking about my time in, in West Virginia, my time in, in Michigan, in rural areas as well. And when my sabbatical came, I chose to work with five states that had rural areas. One was Georgia, Missouri, Kansas, Kentucky, and my home state in Florida. Coming out of that, after people started getting wind about what I was doing and all that, Illinois asked me to come and work with some in Alabama and North Carolina and Tennessee. And before I knew it, nine different states that had rural churches, I was able to go in and work with them, but also learn from them. And what we found is each and every one, while different in many aspects, they also had distinct types of churches in the field. They were led by pastors who they were not maintaining the status quo. They were leaders. They were reaching out. And, you know, we found some that were just kind of drifting. But as a whole, we found Leaders in rural America, in in Appalachia and things like that, that literally they were serving in the heartlands and doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Pastors who pastor in Appalachia and pastors who pastor in rural America, they should hold their heads high for the cause of Christ. Rural pastors must be honored. They must be encouraged. They must be loved on until Jesus comes because, you know, so many groups now are only thinking about the city. And yet a large portion of our land is rural and we need to make sure we hold those pastors in high esteem. I believe there's going to be an incredible crown in heaven for those type of leaders and for their kids and for their spouses as they revitalize the heartlands. You have these books, many books on church revitalization, but you also have another publication, the Church Revitalizer magazine. How does that function in your ministry in church revitalization? I have a lot of buds of all different denominations that are the leader in revitalization within their denominational tribe. And so when we started about nine and a half, almost 10 years ago, the Church Revitalizer magazine, I really got with all of the guys that I spoke for at their conferences and all that. And I said, there's nothing out there that's solely a magazine on revitalization and renewal. And I want to create the Church Revitalizer magazine. So we started the first year. We kind of learned our way into the future. And now that thing, you know, the old saying is, be careful what you pray for. You might get it. It is an incredible blessing to so many people. 
a rocking magazine. It always has a theme every issue. And we call it a church revitalization retreat in every issue. Now, Matt and Rex, if I may, just came to me. If a pastor is listening to this and they will say, I have listened to Rex Howe and Matt Shamlin and their podcast, and I would like to receive the Church Revitalizer magazine, if they will send that statement to GOBA, G-O-B-A, at G-O-B-A dot O-R-G, that's G-O-B-A at G-O-B-A dot O-R-G, we will give them a year free of the magazine just to bless them where they serve. This past issue, I don't know if either of you get it, it was all about perseverance and why it's so important as a church revitalizer to have that character trait of being able to persevere because sometimes that's the only thing that's going to help you go through from decline, actually move it toward renewal or revitalization. Tom, that is incredibly generous, and we are so grateful that you're willing to offer that, and I know that it'll be a blessing. That's a magazine that I have received for years. I had to have been one of the early subscribers to that magazine. What an incredible blessing and encouragement and a challenge that was to me. So let's think about this for a moment. What does a church revitalizer look like in rural America and how do they function? It's different in every, like if you were urban fringe, it'd be different. If you were deep urban, it would be different. Being a church revitalizer in a rural landscape, I believe is one of the hardest callings there is. And if you are called to be that church revitalizer, the pastor who leads that church in renewal, I call a church revitalizer. And that's set up differently than a church planter and a a regular pastor. They have that pastoral trait, but they also have to have the revitalizer trait. They have to bring about renewal and, and watch the Holy Spirit pour down on their church. And if you're called to be that type of person, it can be the most enjoyable ministry that you can have as a preacher of the gospel. He's part church planting catalyst. He's part entrepreneurial type leader. He's part pastor teacher, part watcher for the lowly in the community. And I would also say to some degree, he's part community chaplain. He's not a big city pastor. And if he operates within that type of ideology in Appalachia or anywhere across the nation that is rural, he will not only hurt his family, but he could destroy the church that he's been called to revitalize. So revitalizer's vision must match the royal climate. It must harmonize to the goals of the community, the goals of the church, if it's going to be successful. Part of that is a pace issue. In city, you can get away with just fast, real fast. In some rural areas that are maybe on the fringe of an urban center, you might still get away with that. But most rural climates the pace is just a tad slower. And if you're running around like your head's cut off all the time, you will make your community dizzy. You'll make your participants in the church dizzy. And you're probably going to have a very short tenure as the pastor of that rural landscape. We see across rural America that a lot of churches that had closed up, you know, we're coming on the backside of COVID. And so we're seeing a lot reopening. But There have been a lot of churches in rural America that became dormant, and sometimes it was because they lost the pastor, didn't know what to do, but they're starting to reopen. And it is so vital, vital that they get the right type of person to come as their pastor. And, you know, I think there's some things you got to identify 
as what I call tendencies for a rural revitalizer, they're often bivocational. They work out in the community or they work in a community around the area and they minister on the Lord's Day. Some are retired ministers that they were born in a rural landscape and they have always longed to return to a rural landscape. And so some are retired ministers that want to go back and, and serve faithfully in that type of setting. Some rural church vitalizers in the rural context are sponsored by a church maybe 100 miles away, but no, there needs to be a church voice and a church direction in that small community. And so a bigger congregation in a different area, they help fund that church. We have found almost to a point successful church vitalizers live in the community. They live in the community. They're content with pastoring small churches. There's nothing wrong with uh, small churches. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the small church. He made so many of them. And really that's so. But another thing that's kind of a tendency or a part of the factor of that is a rural church vitalizer, he ministers and prepares the young as missionaries for when they leave. It's granted, and we know from other secular research that a lot of those graduating from high school will leave and never return. Now, not everybody leaves uh, when they graduate from high school. And remember those young adults that stay in that community, they need to be looked at as part of the church and they need to be allowed to grow up and become part of the leadership. And they have stayed, they've chosen to stay, embrace them and minister to their lives. I would just say the rural church must think memorial stones, not stepping stones. You know, just drive down stakes in that area and stay there um, as long as God would have you. You know, rural pastors know you by name. I don't want to sound like cheers here, but there are the norms of the ministry. They go in, they know names, they know kindred, they know people. Sad to say, they also know problems <laughs> as well. So they're the watcher, they're the chaplain for the area. We found that some will do part-time churches that, you know, they go from one church early morning to another church later morning. Um, it's amazing all that is happening. They look through the hourglass is another way to look at it and find that where they are is enough. And it's also enough for the people they serve and they enjoy their ministry in that area. When a pastor comes into a new church that is reeling from the effects of COVID-19, he must take care to fine-tune his approach in a way that resonates with the community. When we come back, Rex and Tom talk about these challenges, plus how to handle church conflict. Coming up on March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course, you'll hear from keynote speaker, Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 740-377-2520. Thank you. 
I went from Dallas to Lisbon, Illinois, and I really struggled at first. Even though I was raised rural in Appalachia, the bulk of my pastoral experience was urban, and then I transitioned to this rural experience. So it's trying to figure out what works that I've learned in both places in this new place. And probably the first two and a half years, I really was trying to go way too fast. It took me a while to learn that, you know, the pace and being embedded in the community. Now, another thing that I want to ask you about is how important peacemaking is in the rural church. There's a book by Jim Van Uperen, Making Peace. He's mm-hmm. the head of Metanoia or Repentance Ministries. Talk to us about that, peacemaking in a rural church. Well, you know, when you go to Appalachia or any other rural place across the land, people are related and they don't see anything wrong with fried up preacher for lunch every Sunday. So you better learn how to not run around and be in my way or the highway, but you better learn how to work with people. And in rural mindsets, what you're trying to avoid most is uh, many churches that die in rural areas is because of unresolved conflict. You know, the joke was the Hatfields and the McCoys. I actually pastored that church, but we'll leave that one alone. But it could be the Hatfields and the McCoys, or it could be conflict with the way the pastor is doing this without bringing everybody else on board and following that pace issue that we were talking about. With If you run hard and you run fast, that's a church planter type of deal. That is not a church revitalizers deal. Slow and steady means different depending on what your environment is. And I'm not saying that rural is really, really slow, but it's not a thousand miles an hour either. It really depends on as good things happen and, and rural pastors jump on timely things when the community is ready for it. But peacemaking, you know, when you think about the rural setting, everybody's related in most rural areas. And it doesn't just go back to the last 10 years, 20 years. It goes back hundreds of years a lot of times. And that's where the church of idolizers got to get over his agenda and make sure he's embracing those that remain. I know there are a lot of people that move away from rural, but there is a solid core still in that community that are in your church. And while there's some waning in the church from what it could have been or may have been in days past, there's still a lot of people to reach. The more creative a rural pastor is learning how to keep peace and the better it's going to be. When people walk around with sense of unforgiveness toward another and toward you, it really is dangerous. And there's two camps in rural area And you, when it comes to conflict. There's those that try to control conflict and there's those who avoid the conflict, they run. And a lot of rural areas, you will see people run from conflict and they say, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore. Well, you know, that's code for, there was a major fight brewing and I just chose to bounce out of it. When you deal with those, it's really unnerving for pastors of rural areas, revitalizing churches to try to bring people together and get things right. The tentacles are long in family relationships. Edward Freeman, he was a family therapist and He talked about the importance of really knowing how to work in long, egated families. And 
you better be a good reconciler and you ought to know family systems if you're going to pastor in the rural area. Our ministry in rural is our commission is a ministry of reconciliation. And that needs to be kind of our song. And most times when you go into rural, there's going to be spats all the time because we're family. But you need to learn how to bring reconciliation to that church. And that's a huge issue. And that pace thing, if you don't pay attention to that pace, you'll start burning out some very, very faithful people who you need. You spoke about the family systems, and I teach a church revitalization class at the Bible College. Mm -hmm. And one of the premises that I use is that the same model that is used in foreign missions must be used in Appalachian missions. We found in the 1940s that instead of trying to go in and make Americanized churches in foreign places, to reach people of peace, raise up indigenous leaders, and those indigenous leaders become the ones who actually reach them. In your book, you talk about indigenous leadership. You talk about how that it's critical in rural renewal. Why is that so? As I talk about this, there's two types of indigenous leadership we are seeing now. And this is a change in the last three to five years. First, we have the indigenous that's grown up there all their life in state. And Matt, you see that, and Rex, you see that all, all the time. But also we're seeing something with what I call the retiring of the American workforce, like my mom and dad. My mom and dad left rural Franklin, North Carolina, and came to Naples, Florida, where my dad worked in construction until he retired. When they retired, they moved back to Franklin which was really home and was really family and, you know, all those type of things. There is longtime indigenous and returning indigenous. It's a term that was created by Carl George a long time ago, but is the new rural, new rural. And new rural are usually people that are returning back to their roots as a family. You got to have leadership that is right there indigenous and you have to have pastors that are willing a lot of times to work another job out in the community. Some of our strongest churches around this area where I minister are led by rural pastors that the churches are running, you know, over 200 and yet they don't have to pay a salary. They pay a stipend to help that pastor's family. But he works out in the community, and that allowed a church that really didn't have a lot of funds in a poor community to, to exist. So when we talk about indigenous leadership, I think that's the future of a lot of our churches. There's discussion about mega churches. At the end of the day, there are more churches that run between 75 and 125 across our land. It is who we are in the Western Hemisphere. A lot of our pastors, they are local indigenous leaders that work out in the community and they deserve the support. You know, being indigenous in a rural area is critical. And I think there are a lot of people who formerly resided, went kind of to the city to work uh, coming out of college. They have found that their heart was back in easier way of life and they returned to that. I saw that a lot even in the New England area when I was uh, restarting a church. They always felt like they weren't complete until they returned. It was where their roots were. And when we were in West Virginia serving for seven and a half years, that was a critical mission area. Think about this, guys. 46.2 
million people live in rural America. That's 15% of our population. Being indigenous, it will really help you. And a lot of guys will go to seminary and then will return home and can have wonderful, wonderful ministries. Sometimes when you come in as the new kid on the block, you're not trusted for a long time and you may never be trusted. So in the rural Appalachian mindset, having someone that's been there a long, long time serves very, very well. Rural Appalachia has deep roots. When a church in Appalachia is looking to revitalize, the young man who grew up in that area and who is called to pastor is a great fit. Not only does he understand the community, the community understands him and will most likely be more receptive to how God will use him. This is part one of a two-part series with Tom Cheney, Executive Director of Church Revitalized Magazine. Tom will be back on the next episode of Level Paths to dive deeper into the topic of church revitalization in Appalachia. He'll talk about the retainers, the pastors who stay in Appalachia, and the returners, the ones who come back home. On the next Level Paths podcast, more with the founder and director of the Renovate Church Revitalization Conferences, Tom Cheney. You one day will be the moral voice for that community. Another day you'll be talking about why we need to buy strawberries. You'll be the evangelist regionally, locally. You are the watcher. And that's kind of the functionality of, of you in that type of landscape. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.